We are on Lesson 6 of the Winter Quarter, 2022-2023, and the title of the lesson is Nehemiah Builds Despite Opposition. Scriptures are Nehemiah chapters 4 through 7. So, Lord, we do thank you for this historical account of the returning exiles. We thank you for this historical account of the beginning of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. And uh, we pray that we could learn from it as the exiles were doing what you wanted them to in the face of very strong opposition. And sometimes we get that too, both externally and internally from our own sin nature. And so we pray that you would help us to lean on you and trust in you and continue as they did um, when that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. So section A is Nehemiah ignores insults. And that's verses 1 through 5 of Nehemiah chapter 4. Okay, I'll start off with that one. How's that? So chapter 4, verse 1. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him, and he said, Even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So what's happening here? Yeah, exactly. Anti-Semitism. So yeah, verse 1, Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. Now, okay, they were rebuilding the wall of a city. That had already been there. And he was a leader of Samaria, Samaria, which was north of the city. Why in the world would he become furious and very angry, do you think? Right, it's this sort of thing that led to what we saw in Jesus' day. That's what I was saying. Between the Jews and the Samaritans. That's I'm just repeating it for... The online people, for the online people, because that's good That's good stuff. So verses 2 and 3, he spoke in the presence of his brothers, so other Samaritans were around him, and the wealthy men of Samaria. The quarterly mentioned uh, soldiers, although I don't see soldiers necessarily in this passage. But then he mocked them, you know, with several rhetorical questions. Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from 
the dusty rebel, even the burned ones. And then Tobiah the Ammonite joined in. Saying in verse 3, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. So, you know, this is a rickety, amateurish thing being built. So they're they're mocking them. And uh, it makes you, you know, maybe they thought they would have a loss of power, but that makes no sense. I mean, they're just building a wall on a city. They're not losing any power for where they are. But this is what Jana mentioned. Unreasoning, it is not reasoned. Anti-Semitism, and where does that come from? Yeah, that comes from Satan. So this is from Revelation 12. Revelation 12 gives us an overview of the angelic conflict that began from the Lord's decree in Genesis 3.15, that from the seed of the woman would be born one who would crush Satan's head. That's what the Lord told Satan in the garden. And so this is, uh, this is, and next quarter we're doing Revelation, so that'll be very exciting. But anyway, Revelation 12, starting in verse 1, it says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth she might he might devour her child. Now this is in figurative language. And we are literal interpreters of the Bible. We interpret the Bible in a literal, grammatical, historical, contextual fashion. So why do I say that it's figurative? Because it says a great sign appeared. So you know that this is going to be a figure of speech. And then it talks about a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And that refers back to Genesis 37, Joseph's dream. Joseph had a dream that the moon, the sun and the moon and the stars would bow down to him, which happened. And what was the sun and the moon and the stars? It was Israel. Jacob, Leah, and the, his brothers, Israel. So the woman here is Israel. And the woman is with child, and she cried out, being in labor, in pain to give birth. Give birth to who? Well, we know who it is by verse 5, which I didn't read to you. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's the Messiah. Israel is laboring in pain to give birth to the Messiah, the seed of the woman, who will crush the head of Satan. And then verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. And actually in this passage, 
is the first time we actually learn who the serpent was in the garden. So the last book of the Bible, we learn who the serpent was in the first book of the Bible. It says, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. So anyway, this is why people get so mad at the Jews. Because there's a spirit goading them to hate. And he failed this. He failed this when Jesus came. He tried to stop it several times, many times. Stop the Messiah from being born. When he couldn't do that, he tried to stop the Messiah from doing his mission. That was the temptations in the wilderness. That's all the demonic activity around Jesus during his lifetime. And he couldn't do it. So now the only way he can do it is to kill all the Jews. Because the Jews are required to call the Messiah back to earth. We can't do it. We could save the whole Gentile world. And if the Jews remain as they are, the Messiah will not come back. The Jews are required to call. And then he'll come. So that is what explains this sort of hate. And that's what explains anti-Semitism today, you know. And anti-Semitism is growing today. Yeah, so anyway, this is just an example. You know, here Satan had a possibility maybe of stopping the Messiah, the Messiah you know, if that could ever be done. <laughs> of course it couldn't, you know, but he thinks it can. So anyway, this unreasoning hatred of Jews is satanic. So now Nehemiah responded to this in a very good way, right? What did he do? Verse 4, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. He prayed. That's how you should respond to stuff like this. And listen how he prayed. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity. And let not their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders. What kind of a prayer is this? This is an imprecatory prayer. What is an imprecatory prayer? It is a curse. So you're asking God to curse these people. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. Do not forgive their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out before you. Return their reproach. Now, yeah, so... When they people attack Israel, what happens? Genesis 12, verse 3. To Abram, to Abram, this is to Abram, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And in that passage, the first curse says the one who curses you, that's a light curse. I will curse is a heavy curse. They're different words in Hebrew. So if you come against the Jews lightly, the Lord will slam you. And why did he do that? Because of what we read in Revelation 12. Because he knew, the Lord knows, you know, Israel would be a target of Satan all their history. And so he gave them this 
blessing and cursing promise. He's also a parent. That's right. Yeah. The, the Lord will not allow Israel to go out of existence. He will not allow it. That is very good. Very good news for us. Okay, now, Nehemiah prayed this way. David prayed this way. Should we pray this way today? That is my question to you. We have one vote for no. We should not pray imprecatory prayers today. Right? That's what you're saying? That means a curse, praying a curse on someone. That's what Nehemiah did here. He prayed a curse on them. Should we pray a curse on people? We should not. This is a di the difference. A, I think it's a dispensational difference. In the church age, Romans verse 12. Yeah, no, instead of praying an imprecatory prayer like this, Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, 12, 14, Romans. Yeah, he's praying a, a curse on them. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think we should be tempted to do that. Curse. It means you're cursing someone. Uh yeah, because yeah, because you can't don't have the power to do it, so you're asking God to do it for you. And instead, we should be like you know you hear about people in uh, Stalinist prison camps or in the Gestapo's prisons or in communist China, where they're praying for their captors, the prisoners are, and it and things like that, and the captors become converted through that. Yeah, so we, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, every one of us. Not every um, is, is Israeli before the age of the church did have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit would come, Holy Spirit would go. You, Holy Spirit would come on you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, how can you do this? <laughs> You cannot do all that, you know. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to forgive your enemies while they are torturing you. You can't do that unless the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. Jesus said it at the cross, forgive them. Yeah. Yeah, retaliate in kind. Yeah. Yeah, so another from Romans 12 verse 17 says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. So don't try to get back at anyone and leave it to the Lord who will get him back. But I, you know, we can understand why he's doing this. I mean, Nehemiah was frustrated to the max. I'm not saying that's not a human thing to do. Yeah. It's not necessary. Yeah, it's not necessary. Okay, so section B, Nehemiah anticipates surprise attacks. That's verses 6 through 14. Can I get somebody to read that one? Thank you, ma'am. Okay, verse 6. So he built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So remember last time Nehemiah came, 
He hadn't told anybody what he was doing. He had permission, but he had no labor force. And then he told them what he wanted to do, and he told them how the Lord had moved to give him permission. And that motivated them. And so now he has a great labor force. And they were working fast. It's already halfway done. So um, later we'll find out that it took 52 days to build this. 52 days. Can you imagine anything happening like that today? Yeah. Yeah. So 52 days. Yes. So anyway, verses 7 and 8. Now Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. So we have an added enemy here with the Ashdodites, who is from the area of Philistia. Heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, and they were very angry again. Yeah, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause disturbance. So now, more instead of just mocking, they're planning attacks. So again, that this is all satanic inspiration. What does the world community today feel about Israel? Yeah, what does the UN think? Yeah. Yeah, the UN, it seems like it's one of their favorite pastimes is to pass resolutions against the nation of Israel. <laughs> so we see anti-Semitism today, and the BDS movement is a very strong portion. And you know what? Some churches support the BDS movement in Israel. Uh, against Israel, and uh, well, their justification is they feel that Israel no longer has a place in God's plan. Yeah, no, this this comes from allegorical interpretation of the Bible. If you have a literal interpretation of the Bible, you do not get to that point. But um, the Roman Catholics believe this. Presbyterians believe this, you know, and it, it, well, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's called replacement theology. And so some churches, and they're mostly liberal churches, so they don't really believe the Bible anyway. Yeah, support the BDS movement. And Genesis 12, verse 3 is still in effect. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse regarding Israel. Mm -hmm. BDS, yeah. Boycott, divest, and sanction. Right. Because they think that Israel is an apartheid state that is unlawfully occupying that territory, which is not true. And I just want you guys to know that on our website, in our as part of our doctrinal statement, we... Uh, disavow that movement. We say we are against that movement and we do stand with Israel because it's evil and it's satanic. And so we disagree strongly. We want to pray for the Jews because we want the Jews to come to the Lord so he will call the Messiah back. <laughs> That's what we want. So anyway, so verse 9 
Again, great response. But we prayed to our God. Because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but he also was a man of action. He worked together. He did what he could physically, but he started off with prayer. I think that's very wise. Very wise. And so he set up guards. And um, so prayer works. You know, if, if you don't pray, start to pray. If you do pray, pray more. <laughs> because prayer works. And uh, keep track of your prayers, too. So that you can, because I forget things. Um, and when you see God answer your prayers, it really gives you a boost. So, and we want to pray for God's will in our lives and then work as well to cause it, what, whatever you can do. Yeah, so you want to be careful when you're doing this to don't substitute your own will for his will. And you know his will by reading his word. That's how you know his will. So the more you do that, the more you'll be in line in your prayers with what he wants. So verses 10 through 12, um, the enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to it. And then we, they were also hearing from the Jews who lived near them. You know, most of the Jews did not live in Jerusalem itself. They lived in the surrounding towns. So they came here and told us ten times. They will come up against us from every place where you may turn. So they... they you know, it was a severe propaganda campaign. Now, do we have propaganda now? We yes, we live in a fog of propaganda. So that is, again, why the Bible is very important. The Bible will help you cut through it, cut through the propaganda. So, lots of threats. Now, do you think Satan's bark is worse than his bite? Yeah, once you're saved, you're out of his reach. But he can make you so you're totally useless as a believer. You know, the Lord's desire is to use you to advance his goals in the world. Yeah, you'll just give up. And, uh, you know, if you're, you know, the carnal Christian who is saved and following his own flesh is totally worthless. He's like Lot was. People didn't know Lot was saved. I mean, people reading the Bible now, they're reading Genesis, they don't know Lot is saved until they get to Second Peter. <laughs> That's the first time they realize he's saved. That is how you become. If you do not continue to believe after you initially believe. And what does that mean? You believe God's Word. So you, the God's Word has a whole bunch of commands for you. That you say, okay, Lord, with your power, I will do what you ask me to. Can't do it without the Lord's power. Yeah, that that is the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit was working there. Yeah, that's from the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so verse 13. Now, I believe that this verse and this uh, passage supports what we have in our Constitution. 
which is the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. Verse 13, Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. So there were a lot of threats of violence. There were threats of attack. There were threats that they were going to come in and overwhelm them and kill them. And so Nehemiah posted guards, armed guards. And, um, you know, we have that right in this country, a right of self-defense. And the government does not defend you, which is their primary mission. That's their primary biblical mission to fight evildoers and imprison them. If they don't do that, then you have the right to defend yourself with force of arms. And it's very difficult to have a totalitarian state if the citizenry is armed. It makes them very difficult. You know, I, I was going to look up this before I came, and I never did, but I believe that the Swiss, the Swiss are armed. All of them are armed. And their rate of gun violence is extremely low. So verse 14, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. There's another one of those times. The Bible tells us don't be afraid. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Remember, if you trust the Lord and obey him, your fear will fade. Your fear will go away. Yeah, so, you know, um, there was a lot of propaganda. Now, did they have to fight? They never did fight. <laughs> but they were prepared to fight. They were armed. They, they never fought. You know, all along you read about all these threats. That's why Satan's bark is worse than his bite. He will threaten you. Satan will threaten, threaten you. As a believer, he will threaten you. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, you don't have to be afraid of him. That is why we put on our armor um, every day, you know. And I, I read it last time, and I'll probably read it again before we get done here because it's important for the for us. Okay, so section C, Nehemiah implements a vigilant strategy. That's 15 through 23. Okay, thank you. So this doesn't sound very comfortable, <laughs> does it? <laughs> no, this doesn't sound very comfortable. So they were under siege, essentially. Um, so verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us, so they thought they were going to do get them by surprise. Well, you know, somebody opened their mouth and it got out. And so they all became, Jerusalem started to look like a porcupine. And everyone was armed and bristling, you know. So when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Nehemiah said, he didn't say I did this. He didn't say that our people did this. He said God had frustrated their plan. And that, you know, that is what is what our whole life should be about. If anyone congratulates us or says something good about us, that should be directed to the Lord because everything we have is from him. All of our talents, all of our everything is from him. If we can do anything that is worthwhile or good, it is because of him. And we should give him the glory for that. Because that is why we were created. We were created to give God glory. And to enjoy him forever. And we will do that. That's right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so this is where I wrote down the uh, enemies dispersed and did the Jews ever have to fight? No. They never, they, they were armed. They were ready to fight. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, like we have our, our defender here. I've done it a few times. Carried a gun to church for defense. Um, but we have one who's very faithful in doing that. And may the Lord bless him. But, so, but, you know, um, the Lord is the one who protects us. The Lord protects us. So, and the Jews never had to fight. So, verses 16 and 17, From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates. And the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. So he split the workforce in half. Which makes it even more amazing that they completed this in 52 days. They were working like crazy. Yeah, half of them were working, half of them were guarding, and those who were working were armed. Verse 17, those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other holding a weapon. So that is less efficient, but that's what they're doing. Raise yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, so then verses 19 and 20. I said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. So Nehemiah had with him a trumpeter. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So and this is a shofar, probably, ram's horn, which uh, Israel, all through its history, used for different things, is signaling, you know, to to move or to re come back or to do this and do they had different different trumpet you know patterns to do different things but they remained vigilant now as a christian should you be vigilant yes how are, how do you, how are you vigilant yeah the lord may put it on your heart to help someone if they in need yeah, you do need to be vigilant, and this is why First Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, that's vigilant, right? Be on the alert, again, vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. That is why. Satan never gives up. 
He will never give up until he's thrown into the lake of fire, until he's chained in the abyss. But he is uh, one good thing you can say about Satan. He does not quit. He is not a quitter. Yeah, that's the only thing good you can say about him, really. But so that is why you need to be vigilant, and this is how we are vigilant. And this is where I'm going to read you the armor of God again. This is Ephesians six, ten through eighteen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now notice this is defensive weaponry, for the most part. Why? Because Satan is the god of this world. A lot of churches will tell you we're building the kingdom. We're not in the kingdom. We're ambassadors in a hostile territory for Christ. We are recruiting for the kingdom. So anyway, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our enemy is not people. The people we don't like are not our enemy. The people who are mean to us are not our enemy. Who is our enemy? Demons. Those are our enemies. Not the people. The people are influenced by demons. So therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and have done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth, that's the Bible, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that is, obedience to the commands directed to you, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, give out the gospel all over the place. Tell people all over that you meet. Um, there's one sin that's keeping you from heaven, your unbelief in Jesus Christ. Be ready to tell that to everybody. So in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So if you believe in the Lord that he'll protect you, then all these threats that they're giving them, they would fall away. Because, you know, just like there were a lot of threats, but they never fought. They never fought. <laughs> and you trust the Lord that he will protect you, and all this stuff will fall away. And take the helmet of salvation, which means you're saved forever, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and petition. That's your uh, offensive weapons. Prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So that is how we are vigilant as Christians. And then verse 21, we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. So they worked as long as it was light enough to work. We should carry out our Christian life that way. We should do it. Okay, so the quarterly skips chapter 5 and through 6.14. That's, there's some good stuff in there. So uh, there were heavy taxes on them from the Persians. And the uh, 
people were having to put their daughters into slavery. They were having to sell their land, things like that. And the other Jews were charging them usury for loans. Usury is uh, interest, usually excessive interest. They were charging 1% per month, so 12% annually. Yeah, the scripture says that Jews are not to charge other Jews interest under the Mosaic law. Now, if we followed that today, we wouldn't have banks. That's how banks make their money, by interest. Differential in interest rates. But um, anyway, and then there were several attempts at uh, tempting Nehemiah into a situation where he could be assassinated. And he saw through them, and he didn't do it. That's right. They, they could charge the Gentiles interest. So section D, I'll read this now since people are blowing the bell. Nehemiah consolidates his achievements, 615 through 73. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month, Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Also in those days, many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehohanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Now when the wall was rebuilt and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post, and each in front of his own house. So the wall was completed in 15, 52 days, and the enemies lost confidence. That is how we want to live. We want to live in such a way that the people watching us will see that God is with you. Okay? So Acts 4.13 says, this is about Peter and John. It says, Now as they observe the confidence of Peter and John and understand that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And then there's another quote about Isaac, Genesis 26, 28 through 29. Abimelech came to him and wanted to make a treaty because he said, in the middle of a famine, Isaac was prospering. God was, God was making him prosper. And he says, we know that God is with you. So that's how we want to live, that people know 
that God is with us. That's a supernatural life. And that draws people to Christ. And that's our job. So the, uh, the last section, which is uncovered, is 7, 4 through 73, which is a repeat of the genealogy in Ezra of the first wave of Zeri Babel. Okay, so I'm finally done. <laughs> We're finally done. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Yeah, we pray that we would live in ways that people would know that God is with us. In Jesus' name, amen.